Welcome to the Millionaire Maker Show, a podcast helping online coaches monetize their life's work and scale their businesses to create more time, more money, more freedom, and more impact. Now, with over 20 years of business building, coaching, and consulting experience, here's your host, author, speaker, and creator of the Millionaire Maker Coaching Funnel, Lindsay Anderson. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this episode of The Millionaire Maker Show. I'm so excited to introduce you to our next guest, Mr. Dean Newland. Dean, welcome to the show. It's great to have, great to be on your show. Thank you for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. Dean, why don't we start off with question number one, which is, what do you do? What is your specialty? Well, we are a small boutique uh, training development company that's been around for 31 years, and we help leaders, teams, and their organizations grow their people, envision their plans, and execute on their uh, strategies. And so what does that really mean? Um, we cover things all the way up from strategic planning, developing large-scale culture change initiatives with organizations. Uh, we work with executive teams. We work with the teams of the executive teams. I'm making sure that they're all heading in the right direction. Uh, we do executive coaching. So I know your show is big on coaching. I've been a coach for, I guess, 31 years. It's been amazing. Back in the day when they still thought coaching was only a reference to sports. And um, and we do some block and tackle training. But I think the the thing that we really are passionate about is working with with the teams and organizations that are really passionate about changing the world in some way, that they're really about um, doing something that's purposeful, that is adding something to the individual, the team and the community, and that they are at the point in their evolution that they have the energy and the resources and the time to really take it up another level, to really make a bigger impact. Uh, sometimes when you're survival mode, you gotta just simply button down the hatches and keep yourself from sinking, got it. Um, but if you're in an organization that's that's ready to rock and roll and have strong leadership to support that, we love working with organizations like that. That makes a lot of sense. When you bring up, you know, when you have the resources and time, it feels like when you realize I have resources and time, strategic planning is like the next logical step, right? And would you say that when people don't have the resources and time, is the strategic planning the thing that kind of gets left off because they're constantly rushing and, and trying to get ahead of it? Or is there a place for strategic planning when you don't have the resources and time in your business? Well, in some ways, the time that you need uh, a strategic plan is when you probably don't have time for it. <laughs> you know, the same thing, I think, is with, you know, the, your coaches out there that they've heard it before that you know, the time to not, the time you should reinvest in your coaching is when things get tough, you yes. know, that, and it's often the thing that they cut first because they kind of see this as being off on the shelf, something that might feel like it's important, but we don't really have a connection to the business than to what we're really all about. And so I think that we as coaches have to do a better job of being able to tell the business story around coaching and why it makes a difference to bottom line and top line. We, we really got to make sure that we connect the dots and get back to a way to be able to measure results. And I think that when it gets back to strategic planning, based on your question, um, there is a really important um, need for us to be able to know where we're heading. Otherwise, we just keep tripping over ourselves day to day. We work really hard. We put our nose to the grindstone. We put in 12 or 15 hours a day. 
we wonder why we're working so hard when why we are continuing to find the same problems over and over again. You know, well, next time we'll just work a little bit harder. I think that's probably, you know, a foolish way to approach a problem. Don't keep doing the same thing and expect a different result. So strategic planning can help us pull back and get into a higher altitude of vision to be able to see where we're heading, not just today, tomorrow, this quarter, next quarter, but maybe a year out, maybe a couple years out. And the further out you go in your planning, the more you need to be less specific because changes happen all the time in the market, but you can still have a general direction. So long story short, I think that strategic planning is extremely important, whether you're a large organization, um, whether you're a small company or whether you're even an individual, we all need a plan to move forward. That doesn't mean that we can't have flexibility and agility, but it means that we have decided where we're going. And conversely, we've decided we were where we're not going. And one of the problems with service-based organizations like coaching is that we say yes to everything. Sure, I can do that. I can develop an approach for that. But that may not necessarily be in their best interest nor our best interest. So there's a certain power toward creating a niche and a strategic plan can help you do that. I love that. I love that. Something that I'd say a lot, Dean, that's really lining up with what you're talking about, which is I tell people if you're feeling the grind and you can't seem to get ahead in your coaching business and you're kind of at the same place and it's all there's a lot of chaos that you need to slow down to speed up. And part of that slowing down is creating a strategic plan. Would you agree that a strategic plan is your way out of the hustle and the grind and the and the franticness that can be running a business? Well, yes, and. And the and is the hardest part of a strategic plan is not in the development of it. It's in the execution of it. It's one thing to get a group of people or yourself to break away from your day-to-day -to, -day to be able to get back to a larger view of what you want to do and make some decisions. Really important, but the hard part, I think, is, in, is actually in executing it. Because You've decided on some new behaviors, new tactics, new goals, new processes, whatever it is, while you're still maintaining the stuff you've done in the past. And so now there's this sort of like we're building the ship or we're building the plane while we're flying it. And that's a, it's very difficult. And all the pressures of the day-to-day, -day, those urgent, important things keep flooding at us all the time. And meanwhile, we're putting in new processes and new goals and new, new ways of being in this strategic plan that sometimes are counterintuitive uh, to what we need to do today. So yes, it is the way out, <laughs> but be clear, the execution is something that is as important and in fact, probably more important than the plan itself. And I would say, and I always tell this to, to executives or small business owners is, yes, okay, work with us on a strategic plan, but let's, before we get too far down the road, talk about how you're going to follow up on it. Do you need our help? Do you need somebody else's help? Doesn't matter. Make sure you schedule in times for follow-up, for, for dashboards, to, to measure results, to make course corrections, to do post-mortems on where you are relative to where you were and to learn from that. Because most organizations are structured for execution. They're not structured for learning. And when we aren't structured for learning, we keep doing the same thing over and over again. So the strategic plan can help us move out of that Oh, that, that pattern of always feeling like we are just, you know, drowning in too much to do so long as we execute and so long as we keep learning along the way um, where we're making mistakes, where we are doing well and bake that into the next, you know, the next step. Okay. So 
you execution is very important. You mentioned one tip is to schedule in time for these postmortems, for for learning, for actually executing. What other tips do you have for making sure we execute on our own strategic plan and that it doesn't just gather digital dust? Digital dust. That sounds great. Thank you. <laughs> Another phrase. I love it. You know, um, aside from the planning of your follow through, it's extremely important to define the roles of those people who are going to help you execute it. Who's got point on this? Who's got point on that? What is their roles and responsibilities? That's really important. The other piece, I think another tip is when you start executing on anything, you have to start making decisions around whatever it is you're executing on. Maybe it's a marketing plan. Maybe it's a, a new way of doing accounting, whatever it is. But you are going to be met all the time with a series of decisions that you will have to make. And the absence of making those decisions causes the, the strategic plan, that goal, whatever, to come to a screeching halt. So part of the strategic planning execution process is let's get really good at making decisions and we have to decide how we decide. And if you don't know how, right. to, if you don't know how to make decisions, then, then that's an issue. Decisions sometimes are difficult for people because they involve risk. Also, they involve conflict with other people. And so one little tip that I picked up through somebody else, most of us steal information from other coaches and facilitators, is when you're dealing with a team of people around a decision, don't just say, hey, are we all in or are we all out? Okay. Because we're never all in or all out. You know, it's kind of like to say, hey, Lindsay, I trust you. Or Lindsay, I don't trust you. Well, sure. maybe I trust you in the fact that you care, that you're competent. But maybe I don't trust you in the fact that you don't follow through. But in these other areas, I do trust you. Decision-making is the same way. We don't all just say yes or no. We actually have intuitively inside of us some variation of that. So when a decision has to be made, I suggest people do like a one to five scale. Let's go around the room and say, okay, if you're a one, you love this plan. You love I this love idea. That. Good, go. We know that you're fully on board. Number two, what do you guys? The two people are like, yeah, it's pretty good. Not bad. Number three is I have some concerns about it. Um, I voice them, but it's it's not going to hold me back. Four, I've got some serious concerns about it. However, there are some strong subject matter experts on the team. I'm going to allow them to make the decision because I trust the fact that they are going to do what is right for the company or the team. Number five means like, heck no, this is wrong. I'm putting my foot down. I'm going to stop this train and and basically say we should not do this. So now all of a sudden the leader has a real accurate pulse on where his or her team is relative to that decision versus we've got to be all in or we got to be all out. That's what yeah, I love that. That will also yeah. help. I'm guessing people voice their opinions because it's like, I'm not going to say yes to that because I'm not all in. I think that's really wise. I'm going to be using yeah. that in my leadership meetings from here on out. Dean, thank you very much. Yeah, that really helps because then what it means is to finish that little tool, Lizzie, is that if we are a four or under, that means it's time to rock and roll and we don't go back over this decision again. We don't bring it up again. We don't put it in the next meeting agenda. We are done. We got to move forward. That. That's the execution piece that we started with. That's why decision-making is such a key part of execution is a bunch of decisions either help you or hurt you if you don't move through those decisions quickly. That one to five process can get you there faster. I love that. Dean, thank you for that. Now, yeah, yeah. there's something else that you mentioned in this whole 
thing of executing on your strategic plan that I would like to circle back on. Now, I also, uh, I was, you and I met because I was on your podcast called The Business of Intuition. And the statement that you made was new ways of being. And so can you explain what you mean by that? You said they have to show up and understand their new ways of being in order to execute on their strategic plan. Uh, Do you remember saying that, Dean? Yeah. And what that sort of popped out was um, there is a a fair amount of research out there, and you've heard it before, that strategy or culture eats strategy for lunch. You know, that's a term we probably have heard before. Well, what does that really mean? Meaning that our culture, meaning the way in which we behave, the way in which we do things, our attitudes and behaviors and values are a mirror to our execution and our strategy. They are aligned. You know, it's almost like they, they, we're seeking homeostasis between our culture and our strategy. You know, Ooh, I like the so, way you put that. Mm-hmm. So what happens is that you all of a sudden create a new strategic plan that's really bold and it's different. Well, then the question is, do you have a culture that will support that? If your culture doesn't grow at the same pace of your strategic thought and your plan, then your culture is going to hold back that plan. And that happens all the time. Yes, of course we want this, but our culture is holding us back. So what does culture really mean? From the Baldridge vernacular, you know, the Baldridge Awards that we sometimes give organizations that have done extremely well, culture in some sort of morphed version of that is Culture is how things get done, fueled by vision, values, behaviors, and process. Okay. So if you have that down, now we've linked, going back to our former conversation, we've linked these soft skills, behaviors, and attitudes to the business, how things get done, process, those kind of things. So now we see culture as being everything that relates to how we get things done. It requires our behaviors, it requires our values, it requires our vision. Oh, and it requires process. All of it in this recipe, this soup that we're creating is what culture is. And it includes the business. It is one and the same. So the, when you talk about the person's you know, whole being showing up, we need to make sure that we realize that once you start creating a new strategy for a single individual, for a team, for a company, it doesn't matter, that there's going to have to be a new attitude, a new mindset, a new way of being for that individual, that team or the organization, aka our culture, in order to support that new level of strategy. And that's a conversation that has to be a part of strategic planning is what kind of team or what kind of person do I need to be in a world where this strategy lives and breathes? Oh, we got to get a lot better at conflict. Oh, we got to get a lot better at decision making. We got to get better at making, um, you know, strategic decisions. And we got to get better at learning, you know, whatever it is. It has to be able to match and support that strategy. Otherwise, your culture is going to pull it down. And I think that applies to also any like personal goal or business goal that you have. If you have, if you want to be a million dollar business owner, You're going to get there a lot faster if your way of being is acting like a million dollar business owner and not the, you know, not a million, like $10,000 business owner. They act completely different. And so you can fast track this if you start adopting those behaviors, same as an organization would. 
So here's a quick exercise for anybody out there. So I would ask everybody who's listening to this to pull out a piece of paper and draw a line down the middle of it. And on the left-hand column, you write down all the different things you want in your business in the future. You know, characteristics, money, whether you're traveling, you know, you got new people on board, you don't, whatever it is, it's your laundry list. And the more you look at that laundry list, the more you go like, yeah, that feels right. That's what I meant to do. That's my purpose. I am drawn to that. That doesn't feel like a burden to me, right? So that's good. So you draw down on that left-hand side, all these characteristics, goals, et cetera, for your business. Then on the right-hand side, you write down all the kind of characteristics you need to be in order to attract that kind of business. What kind of a leader, what kind of a person, what kind of communicator, what kind of a human being do you need to be in order to attract that? And that becomes very, very powerful because now you see, again, the relationship between culture and strategy because they are yes. one and the same. My wife and I, I'll tell you a very quick side story. We both were had been through a marriage before. I sat down on a journal uh, one day in, back in 1992. I'm dating myself. And uh, I was thinking like, well, that didn't work out. My former relationship. What do I want? I did the exact same thing. Wrote down all the characteristics on the left-hand side. This is for a person, not a business, but they, it applies. And then I went, okay, what kind of a person do I need to be in order to attract this kind of individual? I did all that. Closed up my journal. Read it a couple of times. Lo and behold, I meet this person. We start to date. We get involved in a business together. We ended up falling in love. We're going to move in with each other. We're opening up a bunch of boxes. And she opens up a box of journals. And she happens to open up this particular page that I just described. And she goes, oh, that's really fascinating. And I go, why? She says, well, the, this person that you just described on the left-hand side sounds a lot like me. And I go, yeah, it is a lot like you. And I goes, well, she goes to me, so when did you write this entry? Was that just today or yesterday? And I go, Joanne, look at the look at the date on the page. And it was two years beforehand. So there's something very powerful about the intentionality of the kind of person you need to be and the strategy you're trying to create and aligning them. And writing it down. Can we just and put, writing can it we down. underline that too? Like taking it seriously that. enough to write it down. Tell me, Dean, what was the other side? Did she say, and that looks like you? Or what was her response? <laughs> you. You, you know what? Down. She did. I can't remember the conversation as well ago, but it became kind of like, whoa, this is kind of like wild and weird and wonderful that we, we found each other in this way. And she kind of went through her own process that kind of brought our paths together. But um, it just felt that, yes, I, um, I, I will not be as bold to say that I have mastered everything on the right-hand side, but it got me clear about what kind of a person I needed. I need to obviously become a different person in order to attract a different person. Just like right. you need to be a different person in order to have a different kind of a business. You yep. know, so is that, let's look at both sides of the ledger. And it can be, it's like, it's really one of the best things to do is just write it down. Like that just makes your brain start working towards that direction. Like people right. think it's more complicated than that, but like take yourself seriously enough and write the stuff down. Absolutely. I love that, Dean. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about tech now. You and I, we've talked a little bit about AI and chat GPT on previous conversations. Where are you when it, and I know you're kind of a nerd this way, if you don't mind me saying so, where are you with marketing and coaches and technology? It's a great time because there, you know, the, there was a futurist I once heard that said that the speed of change right now is the slowest it's going to be for the rest of our lives. And so 
that's a, a profound, scary, maybe a delightful idea. So technology is often the 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 driver of change in society and in in culture, and it's, it's the same in true is true for for coaching. Uh, the sidebar story I'll tell you about. There was about four years ago. I was at a conference called Conversations Among Masters. And masters is a kind of a loose tongue in cheek term for coaches. Uh, in the real world, as you may, some of you are out there who've been part of the um, International Coach Federation process, that there are different layers and levels of coaching. You know, you've got master certified coach is your your PhD version, right? And it requires a fair amount of effort to get to that certification. So nonetheless, I, I found out about this organization and went to this conference. And it wasn't just that you had to be a master certified coach to attend, but you had to be probably a, a pretty seasoned coach, maybe 10 years in the business. So nonetheless, the lead up was we had some really, really established coaches who've been around for a long time, the grandmothers and the grandfathers of our industry. In fact, the woman who is on our team, Susan Klein, who um, was my first coach, she was the very, she was one of the very first uh, master certified coaches. She helped co develop Coach University. She helped develop ICF. She still does a lot of the work regarding um, credentialing. This is a grandmother of our industry, and I'm very fortunate to be able to have her on our team in some of the projects we work with. So, the long story short, we had this breakout conversation, and um, we were talking about technology. Nobody had a clue about what was happening within the coaching industry with respect to technology. It was very old school, you know, um, yes. email marketing, a lot of lunches and going out and meet people and referral base and all of that stuff. I don't dispute and we should still do it. But nobody had a sense about what was happening with um, technology with respect to this type of business. And that was before ChatGPT. So I kind of got like, you know what? Um, AI is coming. We got to start learning about it. So there's a few things that we're doing in addition to your normal stuff that you would do for marketing. I mean, I'm big on relationship building. I'm big on meeting people. I'm big on writing notes and thank yous and sending gifts and all that kind of stuff. The relationship has been the backbone of our business for 30 years, and it still is. The, the other things we do, are, I think, are adjuncts to that. But that being said, some of the couple of things that I've noticed ChatGPT is definitely something that can help. And there is a new version, I think, 0.4 out there that's that's really helpful in terms of being able to summarize um, any number of documents or, or you can do blogs. Uh, you know, there's this old adage of 20, 60, 20, 20% 20 is, you know, I think that was your idea, right? That was mine. <laughs> I know. I love it. You're, you, I'm quoting you already. Don't even know. But you're the expert on this, but that's I, I'm still talking about it. Twenty percent is the you know the prompt, and sixty percent is is the kick out of what ChatGPT does for you. Another twenty percent is your editing. That's great. Um, a couple other things that we're playing around with. There is another um, technology that's called StoryFile. You go to StoryFile.com. It's another way of being able to sort of replicate yourself. So. We are, we are only one person in a business, and especially if you're a sole proprietor or a small business, it's hard to get you out there enough, and um, there's only so many hours of the day. So this particular technology allows you to get in front of your iPhone or get in front of your computer and choose any number of questions that you think a potential client would want to know about you, or 
anything about your life, your history, lessons learned, whatever you want to do. And you might say, come up with 50 different questions. They give you a prompt of them if you want to choose the prompts. And you just sit up in front of your computer and you would see that question pull up and you would answer it. And then you go on to your next question and answer it. So what happens is that when this whole series of video files are done, then a person would come to say your website where this particular technology is, you know, implanted. And there's a picture of you sort of in real, looks like real time. You're just sort of sitting there waiting for somebody to ask a question. You could push a button and um, either voice your question to that person's image or, you know, type it in. And then that prompt goes and finds the file that's appropriate to the question. So hence video that. file. And so now all of a sudden, you, Lindsay, I ask you a question. What's your perspective on coaching and how is it different than therapy? Let's just say that's it, right? Sure. All of a sudden, you've already answered a question pretty darn close to that in the list of things that you have decided that you wanted to do. And then you give that answer. Why is that important? Why is it any different than a Q&A on the bottom of a website? Common questions, common answers. Because people are so much more engaged when they see what it looks, what's, what looks like a human being. And you are a human being. It's just a recording of that. So that's a marketing thing that we're, we're going to start playing around with that I think is fascinating. Um, and then I'll tell you one other quick thing um, that I'll share with you. There's a guy named Paul J. Zach, who is a neuroscientist. He's the top 0.3, uh, point, yeah, point 0.3 researcher on the planet right, day, right now. And he spent many, many years trying to understand the what happens in the brain when it comes to engagement and psychological safety. So he's able okay. to find out by wearing a Fitbit or a, you know, Apple watch, you can actually track real time when a person is engaged and when a person feels psychologically safe, real time. So why is that useful? <laughs> it's useful because serotonin levels find homeostasis in other people. So you as a coach, if your energy, your engagement level is high, your client's engagement level will probably try to meet it, match it. We've got to find homeostasis. If you're on your ninth coaching call of the day and you haven't had anything to eat and it's 4.30 in the afternoon and your engagement level starts to dip for obvious reasons, you're probably giving off that energy to your client and they will meet you. So from a marketing perspective, you being your greatest asset, make sure your energy is high. And by being able to track it and measure it, you can do certain things to maintain it or schedule your life in a different way or get to do 20 push-ups or whatever it is to get your back up there. So that's just a couple of geeky things that I've been playing around you with. You are a geek. Too. I love all of this. <laughs> I had not heard of StoryFile. I love the tool that you just mentioned. I love this. Thank you, Dean. Uh, my question, my next question is, you mentioned, yeah, we love relationships. That's how you built your business. That's how you find your clients. But you do some ancillary marketing things. Can you share with us what, how do you get your clients right now? Well, it goes back to still, you got to create great work. You got to have great follow-up. You got to be able to uh, do really good prep work so that you develop that credibility. So the, the work has got to be good. And I just assume that that's the case for everybody that, that's listening to this. Um, relationships are still, you know, always going to be key. 
I will tell you up front, I feel like our coaching industry is saturated. And when it comes to typical marketing, like blogs, like TikTok, like LinkedIn, it's not to say that we should. I think we should, you know, put a certain amount of time and energy into those vehicles. But we are, uh, it's hard to create a niche in an industry that has so many other people doing something similar. I, I have a wonderful little podcast that we've been at for, I don't know, two or three years. And I get a lot of people who are coaches wanting to talk about purpose-centered work and communication. And, and, I, and oftentimes they're great. Sometimes I have to say, I've had so many of these, I have to start going in another direction because there's just so much out there. So if there's a way for you as a listener to find something that is unique about what you do in the area of coaching, like what's your secret sauce in this space of coaching? That's why they're listening to this podcasting. That's exactly why they're listening. And that's it. That's what you want to do. You got to, and that's hard. You might need somebody else to tell you that because you're too close to it. Yes. You yes. Know, you need you an know, expert you, to tell you. Like you, know, you're, you, you rock in this area. And you don't rock in this area. You know, let let make sure that that feedback is there. We we did hire a marketing firm and they told us some great things. Uh, one of the things that I would say going back to the industry itself is that according to the marketing industry with, with their research, they said that coaching could improve itself as an industry if it did a better job of not just telling our clients what they already know, having the backbone to confront them and tell them the truth and to help them get to the finish line. Yes. We don't always do the last two. So that's where we've, I remember once many, many years ago, I was talking, we were working with a client up in Seattle. They were a radio station. We did a three-day retreat somewhere on the coast. I gave them a report. I sat down with the guy, I gave him a report. He goes, great. I love the report. Fine. But what do you think about this team? Tell me what your assessment is. I went, oh. I was just a young pup. I didn't know what the hell. I said, okay, I come back two days later. I give them all my direct comments about this person. They've got a future. This person, I don't think fits your culture. This, you know, just giving them it straight up. He goes, this yes. piece of paper was worth the entire three days. So that changed my entire perspective. And then adding the idea of helping people execute on their plans is because we're all so busy. And if we can help somebody get us to the finish line, not only will I be grateful, but I'm probably going to come back for more. Yes. Yeah, I love that. I love how you put that. So I think a lot of the reasons why people hire coaches is so that they, they can get a different perspective. And if we're holding that back because we're afraid that we need to be a little PR about it, it's not making us an effective coach. Yeah, and there's going to be have to be some people that you hire that you have to let go of. You, and I think that, my criteria for taking on a coachee is one, they have to have a certain amount of self-awareness. Two, they have to be able to accept feedback. And three, they have to get into action. If they don't that. cover those three things. I'm not a good fit for you. Come back later. And I have at times fired my clients because they don't, they're not executing or yeah. they don't have the self-awareness or they reject all the feedback that we give them. It's like, oh, then you don't need a coach, you know, go get a drinking buddy. That's okay. But that's how we, that's not. And it's something about being able to have the boundary around no allows others to sort of see and feel that you're credible and that you're going to tell them the truth. You're not going to just give lip service because you know you get paid for that. You need a risk. There's a great book by, um, I think it's Patrick Lencioni. 
who's written, you know, so many other books about the, uh, his story was really his story about his firm. And one of the key concepts was you have to be willing to risk losing the job by the feedback you give the client. I love that. Yes. And that's very applicable to coaching. Absolutely. Yes, it is. Okay. So I'm going to re-ask this question. Are, tell me how you're getting clients. Are, is it mostly referrals? Do you send a weekly email? Are you on, you said, I don't really think LinkedIn and all this. So what are you doing? All right. So what we do right now is that we got the podcast, uh, the business of intuition. And so we definitely welcome people to listen in on that. Um, number two is that we do send off um, a probably two or three times a week, a blog that gets put to different social media platforms and we interact with people that way. Uh, we're starting some TikTok videos and getting that refined and shaped because that's sort of creating an audience and we're finding that there's certain sort of topics that are really, you know, received really well and some of them not as much. And so that's helping us refine our audience. Um, and then we also support certain organizations. You know, we go to fundraisers. We, we spend the three or $4,000 to go to a golf outing. You know, we, we go to the places that our clients go and to be with them and to understand their business. And yeah, it's a cost of business, you know. Um, dinners are cost of business, um, going out and having a drink with a client is cost or we're a potential client. Um, there was one client that we now have that we've had now for a while. I nurtured the CEO for 18 months, every quarter I got together with him every quarter. And then when it became time for him to become CEO, I was ready and they were ready. Time. And sometimes somebody will go bang, Dean, we want you now. And other times they go like, they, they call out of the blue two years later, you know, but you got to keep in touch with these people. And I think that a coach um, has to have as part of their role, that marketer role, the role of telling your story, connecting with people. It's not just about sitting down and having these wonderfully juicy, life-changing conversations. Most of us out there don't have the ability to hire people for that. But even so, the, 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 the star of the show needs to go out there and kiss babies and shake hands. I love that. Agreed. 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 So, Dean, my final question is this. Here you are. You've been in business for 30 years. You have a lot of experience as a coach. You have a great firm. What is one thing that you wish you could have told yourself at the beginning that really would have saved you a lot of time and grief, <laughs> maybe some tears? That's a great coaching question. <laughs> um, you know, it's it's a good question. I'm thinking about way back in like Seattle, Washington. What would I have liked to have told myself? You know, the thing that comes to mind, Lindsay, is not so much on a marketing question because I think, you know, you learn and you grow and you expand. I think it has more to do with just trusting yourself. I love that. There was a lot of, you know, and I think we all have that, you know, they were sort of, I mean, I'm going to go big picture and come back. I mean, fear is a human characteristic and it's part of our DNA. We also have been through a certain period of time recently where fear has become even more prevalent. Um, and, you know, the pandemic certainly was real, but in the wake of the pandemic, we had another pandemic called fear. 
and I think we're still there in technology as much as it is a connector. It's also a divider because we don't have time with each other. Great book that I'm reading right now by our current Surgeon General, Dr. Vivek H. Murthy. His book is called Together, The Healing Power of Human Connection in a Sometimes Lonely World. Talks about the fact that our fear in our isolation with one another has uh, a very physical effect on us, such as it's the equivalent if you were to be isolated and, and um, disconnected to smoking 16 cigarettes a day or drinking six strong drinks a day. So this, this connection and isolation is, is a big part of all this. And so fear is everywhere. And I think that fear holds us back and fear allows us not to listen and trust our intuition and our inner knowing that is uh, such an important part of what makes us unique and cannot be replicated by you know, a chat GPT prompt as good as they get. So I think if I were to go back to your question and say, what would I wish I had told myself and believed it? <laughs> yes. It's like, Dean, just trust yourself. You're fine, man. I like that. Thank you, Dean. Well said. Well said. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for being a guest on the show. Before I let you go, Dean, I'm going to turn the time over to you to let the listeners know anything you'd like them to know, give away anything you'd like to give away. How do we, how do we follow up with you, Dean? Well, look at the, the, the podcast, the, the business of intuition, uh, keep in touch with that. We might rename it in 2024, but uh, we'll give people a bunch of uh, notice about that. Our website is mfileadership.com. So that's Mary Frank Igloo. Uh, there's a lot of information on there. I mean, just you know, dig through it. There's a whole resource page that has a ton of blogs, ton of content. Uh, we are not for without content. We have a ton of that, and um, and certainly check us out. Check me out on LinkedIn and and social media. And of course, you know, reach out to me in person if you'd like. Uh, if you have anything that you'd like more information on, I'm big at giving away uh, what is needed at the time. And if there's something that somebody needs, let me know. Thank you so much, Dean, for being a guest on the show. Appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Millionaire Maker Show with master business coach and creator of The Millionaire Maker Coaching Funnel, Lindsay Anderson. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Until next time.